0: It has been brought to our attention that depending on the platform that you listen to, you can no longer hear some of our previous episodes.
1: Some of our favorite episodes.
0: Some of the ones where people would reach out and say, hey, listen, I can't believe that you talk to insert whatever name here.
1: And honestly, it makes us a little sad that you can't go back in time and have a listen because the stories were really incredible.
0: We reference a lot of times, oh, we had a chance to talk with so-and-so in the past. And if you can't go back, then it's kind of just, oh. So we wanted to bring some of those Guests, some of those former guests back into the spotlight.
1: We're gonna call it like a, a rerun, I
0: think. A Why me Project rerun. Do you remember those? I do back in the day, or you used to throw the tape into the VCR and <laughs> oh, we're dating ourselves.
1: We are, but uh, a rerun was the opportunity to rewatch one of your favorite episodes. Now everything's so accessible. Well, we thought it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. So without further ado...
1: Here's your Why Me Project Rerun.
0: (laughs) A my friend. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Uh, I am pretty blessed to be featured on the podcast today. So, oh, I'm loving it. I'm having a great day.
0: You you say that now. I mean, we got you right in the middle of uh, (laughs) of, uh, hitting the gym, didn't we?
2: I'm in here. No days off. Well, I take some days off, but nothing will stop me from getting my mental workout and my physical one. So we we can do this thing. We'll, maybe we'll just do it simultaneously.
0: <laughs> we like to ask a skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Emeka, who are you and where did you come from?
2: All right. So my name is Emeka Naka. I came from the womb of my mother in Washington, D.C. I lived in Georgia and now I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: Where did the love of football come from?
2: So to be honest, it, see, uh, football for me wasn't something that I played out of sheer passion. It was more so something that I played out of the fact that I was big, athletic, and was just good at it. And so I tried out for a team, made it, and it was people would always, you know, freak. I could, I was tall, I was big, and I could run fast. <laughs> and so I loved being good at something, and did it to, to, the, to the best of my ability.
0: At what point, though, did you realize or that you could almost make you know, football a career and you were really that good?
2: After I had joined a semi-professional team in Oklahoma, and after the first year we won the championship, by year two I had began to make a name for myself, and it was one of those things where now you're starting to kind of look beyond where you're at, and you're looking at where you could be and every kid desires to be a professional athlete uh you know you're playing a sport that you love you are you know fame got fortune and you just it's just awesome and i wanted all of that and at this point now the evidence of you know a championship and you know what people are saying was something that like okay this is not just in my head anymore it's like other people believe in this other people believe in me it's time for me to believe in me.
1: What about your parents? Were they excited about you going down the path of football or were they rathered something else?
2: So interestingly enough, my parents were very, you know, my parents all about education and they just wanted to make sure that I went to a good school. And they're the reasons why I went to a school in Oklahoma. The school that I went to in Oklahoma did not have a football team. Huh. They just wanted me to get a good Christian education. And I was just really struggling and my young age with any kind of rules, regulations. And so I had failed a number of classes. I had racked up some expensive Fs. <laughs> and football for me, football was like a second chance to right my wrongs. It was a second chance to make my mom and dad proud, to make my sisters proud, and to not be that kid that, you know, when people ask, what is your son doing? You're like, oh, well. Like he's in school, so for me it was huge in reestablishing and representing who I was to my family and my family's friends and everything.
0: So I thought the F's would have stood for faith and football.
2: It was faith, football, and failure for a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so was was faith then a big uh, part of your life as well?
2: Absolutely. Uh, growing up, my mom and my me you know, me and my mom, my dad, my my sisters. Um, we grew up, you know, just my mom instilled in us, you know, having faith in God, having faith in ourselves and having faith in our family. And honestly, for me, it's the, one of the biggest things that has gotten me through, any, you know, all the different adversities that i It's faced. Yeah, it's been a key factor in who I am as an individual.
1: Was there a defining moment, though, where the faith kind of shifted from being something your mom was instilling in you to something that um, was your very own?
2: you know, with the work that I do with young people and with the work that I've done with young people in church in particular, I always speak about, you know, when you're young, when you're a kid, you're growing up, you're growing up under the roof of your family's faith, you know, so when you're a child, when you get sick, mom and dad are praying for you, They're, you know, adults are praying for you. When you turn to be, you know, you're, you're in their faith house. When you start turning, you know, 10, 10 years old, 11 years old, You know, you're taught to start to pray for yourself. This is how you say a prayer. Um, This is who you're praying to, and this is how you pray. You know, you start to kind of build your own foundation for your own faith house that you'll move into when you move out of your parents' faith house. And for me, I grew up with a faith-filled family who raised me with a solid foundation. I felt like once I kind of got out of my own house, I put a layer of sand on that foundation and then built everything up on top of that. We all know what happens when the storms come and a storm came. Uh, my, my whole house was, was shook and, uh, and crumbled to its core.
0: Well, I, I mean, you, you have this faith. You have this love for football. Then let's talk about that storm. Tell us about that night in uh, Arkansas in 2009.
2: And so um, my team, we're playing a game in Arkansas. We drive down there that day, and it's like a normal day. Um, I remember just even pregame, just kind of laying out and just you know uh, just loving the the atmosphere and the the setting of a big time game. Before every game, I would call my mom and we would pray Psalm ninety one just over myself and over the uh, the players and just things just just for protection. I remember trying to call my mom and she wasn't. Available, and I called my dad, and he told me that she was actually on a flight on her way to Texas for a conference. And so I, I did my prayer and started playing this game. Um, we go up, we're up like twenty-eight zero, and I just made a play on defense, and we're coming on kickoff. And so I'm like, oh, I'll go out there on we'll kickoff. you know, we're dominating. Like, let's go ahead. Let's, it's, you know, now nah, it's fun. And I'm going down this kickoff, and. I was known to make big plays and and just known to be able to move well, especially on kickoff. And I go down to make this tackle, a play that I've made a hundred times before, and I make the tackle, boom, crack. I hit this dude, and he goes down. I go down, and he stands up, and I am still down. And I was trying to register what was happening, and I just thought that I had you know, hit my funny bone or something like that, that I just need the breather. And so my teammates are asking me to get off the field, and I'm telling them I need a couple seconds. And then it was apparent that after a couple of seconds that something just wasn't right. And so the trainers came out, and they are, like, assessing the situation. And I can see them, like, yelling back and forth to each other. I try to take my helmet off, and I can't control anything. My arm is locked up. And I am just like kind of bewildered as to what's happening. And so I can hear them screaming back and forth. I think it's C5. I think it's C6. It's not making sense to me. And so the time is starting to go. We're there trying to calm everyone down. And I'm trying to calm down because uh, I just ran down the length of a football field. And so I've got pads that are fast securely to my chest. Um, I'm out of breath, and I've got this helmet on. And now my breathing is starting to change. I cannot catch my breath at all. It's like trying to take a deep breath, but all I'm getting is shallow breath. And if you've ever been underwater for a significant amount of time and you come up, the one thing you want to do is take that one deep breath to kind of let your body know it's like, all right, we're under control. Like now you can start to breathe normally. And I was trying to do that and could not suck in enough air. I'm really on this field thinking to myself, like, what is happening? Am I having an asthma attack? Everyone's saying, like, you know, just stay calm. And in my head, I'm calm. Like, I might, I do not panic under pressure. But I am trying to tell my body that we are calm, and my body is telling me, no, we are not. And so it's just shallow breaths, and it gets... Insane, and before I'm able to just kind of calm down. And then what I didn't realize is that I couldn't, you know, one, I, I felt I didn't realize I couldn't move. And what I didn't realize that C5, C6 was the level in which I had just broken my neck um, and suffered a spinal cord injury. And so as they were, uh, I remember them holding my leg up and asking me a couple, a series of questions to, to find out what my, you know, uh, what my level of coherency was. And I was completely there. You know, I told them exactly where we were, the date, the time, what was happening. Um, They're holding my leg up to me, and I'm looking at my leg, and I'm like, okay, that's my foot, that's my ankle, shin, knee, thigh. Yeah, that belongs to me, and yet I cannot feel it. To make a long story short, ambulance finally gets there. They stretch me up to the stretcher. And, I, you know, this whole while, they can't take off my helmet. They can't take off my pads. They can't move me. And so they get me into the ambulance. Um, I'm really trying to let people know that I'm going to be okay because that's what you do as an athlete is you wave, you throw a thumbs up. you got to let the people know that you're all right. And... I tried to do everything that I could, and I could not move anything. And so they get me into the ambulance, wheel me to the hospital. They would cut everything off that night. I would do an MRI and then undergo a nine-hour neck surgery to repair my broken neck at the C4, C5, C6 level.
0: Did you think that you were still going to play? Did you think that this was just a, a freak injury and that you were going to be able to get back out there?
2: Absolutely. So when I knew that it was serious in a sense of like, all right, I'm going to the hospital. I understand that. I get that. I knew that it was a serious enough injury because they told me that I was going to have surgery. And even in all that, I'm not panicky or worried. Heck, I've never broken the bone in my body. I'm not worried about the fact that I'm in the hospital. Like, look, I'm Superman. Like, this is going to, this too shall pass. Had the neck surgery. And I spent 10 days in ICU in Arkansas. And after 10 days, they brought me back to Tulsa where I would do three weeks stabilizing. My entire focus was getting out of the hospital. My entire efforts was put into once I get out of the hospital, then I can go back to doing what I do. That was the plan. And so when they approached me with, "Yo, know, this is therapy, you know, we're doing therapy in the morning, we're doing therapy at night. It was like, okay, look, that's, that's no different two days. Look, wake me up. <laughs> like, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll be awake waiting for you to get here. You know, I'm doing everything I can. I'm going to do everything you tell me to do because I need to get out of this hospital. You know, this is a minor setback. I can, I can go back to getting what I'm doing, doing what I'm doing, and, you know, go and, and, and play the sport that I love and make change the life of my family. And so a month goes by, two months goes by, three months goes by, and I don't want to I don't want to get any of the listeners confused in the sense like don't do not get it twisted. This was a very rough time and I spent in the hospital because it just got frustrating in the sense of I'm you know I'm sleeping and I'm dreaming and you know I'm waking up and I, in my dream I'm walking around the hospital I'm playing football and then I'm waking up to you know confined to a wheelchair or confined to a bed and not knowing what's, the, what's real life and what's not. Like, what is the nightmare? Like, cause surely I did not just wake up in a nightmare, and this is what life really is. And so when the doctor comes in after about three months, four, in my fourth month of this whole thing, doctor comes into my room and draws up discharge papers and tells me that the hospital has done everything they can. It's time for me to, to move forward. And it's time for me to go back to my life. Those two things did not make sense. Like, how can I move forward and how can I go back? The life that I was living was no longer the life that I, like, the life that I was there telling me to go back to was no longer the life that I was living. That's that's probably one of the hardest revelations and one of the hardest pills to swallow is at the age of 21, on the peak of my life exploding for the better, I have this devastating injury and now i am haunted by the thoughts of what could be and what should be and you know facing all of the stuff that is right now and it and just not not liking it not not really connect with it and so after i got to the hospital that would begin uh, literally the seven darkest hardest months of my entire life
0: where was your faith at in, at that time
2: oh man my mom is one of the strongest figures in my life. I've never seen her cry over anything ha- or having to do with my injury. I have seen my mom cry over some of the silliest things. I have seen my mom cry over some of the most not cryable worthy things. My mom has not shed a tear about her son having this injury. Because from day one, from, from the time that she got the news, it's been... God is in control. I'm telling myself, like, I am not going to ask the question. I am not going to ask this question that is, like, lurking in my mind. I get out of the hospital, and it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's me and my dad. Cause my dad moved out here to help me. Everything in my life has slowed down. Nobody is around anymore like they were when I was in the hospital. Friends' lives got to pick up, and my life is stuck on pause. And I'm just telling myself I'm not going to ask this question. Four months goes by, five months goes by, six months goes by, and I just break down. God, I need to know, like why, like why me, like what, like I, I'm not perfect, but I'm not, uh, 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 I'm not terrible either. Why is this happening? Where, you know, where does my life go from here, man? I can honestly tell you that sometimes when you ask a question, you better be ready for the answer that you're going to get back. <laughs> like why me, man? Why is this happening? Why did this happen? I'm only 21. Like I got things to do. What's up? The word that I got back was almost like a almost like a a, a holy clapback. Like you, you, how dare you ask why? If you're gonna ask why this, there's a ton of stuff to ask why about. If, if you're gonna ask why did this happen, why does you know a, a, a father lose a son? Why does a mother lose a daughter? Why do parents lose children? Why do people die in in uh, natural disasters? Why are people enslaved? Like, there's a, why do people get divorced? There's a number of whys. There's an endless number of whys that you could be asking, that people could be asking. If you want to move forward, the question that you need to be asking is how. And it was like, oh, I hear that. So then instead of asking why, the, I turned from why to how. It's like, all right. How can I use this thing? Like, how can how can I pick up the pieces to my life? How can I come out greater than what went down? How can I rise from the ashes like a phoenix? How can I still impact the world? And how can I still impact people? God, how can I still, like, you know, worthy? And it was one of those things where the, the answer I got back was, like, you, you never lost worth. Like, I never lost my worth, you know. A crumpled up $100 bill is still worth a $100 bill it really took it it really shifted my life i honestly feel like that stance it changed my entire stance because now it wasn't like asking why made me a victim asking how made me a victor asking why made me take a stance of something happened to me asking how turned it into this probably happened for me and so from that moment it was like, all right, what you know, what what opportunities are out there that I'm not look that I'm not seeing because I was so focused on me. And so I took I lifted my eyes and took them off of myself and started look, putting my eyes on others. Started volunteering for a local youth group um, and really just started to serve people. And the craziest thing happened because here I was feeling like that I was in this position of weakness. Um, I thought I was weak because I'm here in this wheelchair, and, and people would ask me, like, so what happened? And I, I'd tell them, like, hey, look, I broke my neck in a football accident. Um, you know, are you sad? Are you mad? Are you depressed? I'm like, eh. I mean, I had, I've had those emotions because I'm human, but I try to move past it. The craziest thing happened. People just identified themselves, like, you know, wow, like, I've, I've gone through some things and I've been in that place, and I'm trying to move from where I am now to where you are now. How can you? How can I do that? It just opened the door for me to be able to share and be a light in a in a dark place for people.
1: Is it safe to say that if someone was to ask you for regret, what happened, you would say no?
2: I've had to ask myself. I've asked myself this question a couple of times. You know, would I go back and change my actions? I say no. Now it wasn't always no. It took a while to get to this place.
1: I appreciate that you expressed this more as a journey because you weren't always in this frame of mind. What is something that you would tell to someone who is going through something like this about staying the course of having that positive attitude?
2: Being positive doesn't mean that you don't feel the negative. I would say that your feelings are completely valid um, because I think sometimes for the most part, I have to remind people that if I'm talking to you and just because I can talk to you with a smile on my face, doesn't mean that I don't feel what's going on around. and doesn't mean that you shouldn't feel what's going on around you. So I think that shame is what kind of hinders people. It's like, oh, I feel bad, but I shouldn't feel bad. I should be more positive. No, no, you, you should feel like pain is real. Like, And when we try to mask pain, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. And so my thing to someone that is going through anything and is trying to find their way down the line from where they are, I would say that, one, where you are is out. You should feel the emotion of what's there. But I, I would also say, two, feel it and let it go because you can't hold on to it. If you hold on to it, it will keep you there, and life will bear you if you let it. You have got to keep climbing, and you've got to look for the positive sometimes, and it's having courage because you got to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to take this step, and I'm going to do it scared. Like courage is not the absence of fear; it's the, it's the presence of action in it. Like, and so I would say, be courageous. Sometimes be courageously optimistic. If you fall off the bike, just yourself off, and get right back on.
0: You, you had said that you weren't as uh, you goes. I, I'm not as strong as I once was. Put into the situation that you were in takes a lot of adjustments. How tough was it, or is it, for you to then have to rely on others?
2: Oh. Good Lord, thats that was so hard because as individuals, we don't like asking for help. And even growing up as a man in this world, society puts pressure on you that you're supposed to have it. You're supposed to have it all together. You're supposed to be You're supposed to be independent you're supposed to do things for other people and not have things done for you. And so it was a very tough adjusting curve because not even that, it's the frustration of like this cognitive distance in my mind of like things that I know that I can do. Now, not being able to do it and asking someone to hand me the remote that's two feet from me, open this water bottle. And when I was in the hospitals, like feed, people had to literally feed me and wash my face and it felt like the most not demeaning because it wasn't out of their it wasn't like they were trying to do it was more so like for me it was demoralizing and it's like this is not what my life's supposed to be like i'm i'm supposed to be the guy that's helping you it was a big learning curve it was it was kind of getting okay needing help because one thing is that we all need help i think that for me i am just i am just very fortunate that Because of my accident and because of I am now dependent, it's a false sense of dependency and independency that we all operate with. Nobody in this world does life by themselves. And so I just have more of a clear sense of the other side of the coin. I get to ask someone to be vulnerable with me and to, you know, put hope in humanity and have humanity succeed at that. Again, it's something that I get to do. It's it's, I get to ask. I get to ask for help now. Like, I get to to let you understand that we are so much more alike than we are different. You see yourself in me, and I see myself in you. Like, I love being able to, like, be in that position. And, like, I, it's crazy because now I've got people that will come up to me, and they say, they tell me, thank me, they thank me for asking them for help <laughs> because they feel like it's trusting. It's And I'm like, oh, I, didn't, I never even saw it like that. Like, I literally needed someone to open the water bottle, but... For you, it's like, oh, you, a Mecca feels like he can trust me to ask me this. And so it's like, I was like, I wish that we all had that sense of active service for our fellow man in the sense of like, you know, it's a privilege to get to help another person do life.
1: When you were playing football, I'm sure people would have defined you as one thing, you know, like, or multiple things. But you know, you're a guy, you're playing football, you're this big beast on the field, right? How do you think people define yeah. you now?
2: That's a great question. I think now there, now I think there's a strength that is recognized that has always been there before. And I think it's a strength that we all have within us that we kind of put up, we put this kind of strength in a in a box and we hide it. And because to me, I I believe that that strength is in vulnerability because we live in a world that does not value vulnerability. People do not want to be wrong. People do not want to admit when they're wrong. People do not want to ask for help. People do not like people want to put display strength. And when for me, what I've noticed is that when I roll into a room, like my vulnerabilities are, are on full display. You can I mean, I don't have to say anything for you to know. Oh wow, this guy has been through some things. Like, like, I, I, like he he has gone through some things, and so people will openly share about things that they've gone through. It's such a a powerful feeling to know that, you know, I you know, just by sheer being vulnerable, it gives you the freedom and the permission to be vulnerable back. And to me, I see that is the strongest thing out there when it comes to social connection, because that is, we all connect on vulnerability. Like, your best friend is not your best friend because you're the best at dancing or you're the best at singing or you're the best at playing video games. Your best friend is your best friend because you've seen them go through some things and you've been there for them. They've seen you go through some things and you and they've been there for you. We connect on on vulnerability, and I think that when people see... That I think people view it as a strength now, and it, to me, is the strength of social connection. You do the motivational
0: speaking. You you uh, you're coaching. What's next? What is the next? If you were to look ahead, what is the plan for you?
2: So this year, I got my master's degree um, in human relations uh, with a focus in clinical mental health counseling. I need to. I probably need to start doing the work to get my license. Um, but I really want to just expand more with my speaking and coaching. Um, I'm working on writing a book, um, and I think that'll be a good avenue to kind of get some, you know, get some of the deep, deep stories out and take people to exactly where I was and things like that. So I, I would say that the book is the next thing and just continue speaking and coaching and my counseling Practice would probably be like something that I just I just want to have that in the tool belt, um, just in case you know we got a lot of hurting people out there, and so I'd like to be a you know a, a helping hand uh, for anyone that's going through some things you know that coaching can go so far, counseling can go so far, but when I have like you know hammer and screwdriver, we can solve some problems. I might throw something in there, as duct tape. So like now we're, we're covered on all bases.
0: <laughs> you can follow that man on uh, social media. It is at Amekanaka or Amakanaka.com. We got him at the gym putting in work. Brother, we appreciate you, and thanks for taking the time.
2: Yeah, no problem. You guys have a great
0: one. Don't forget to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Make sure you tell all of your friends. You can review 5 Star on Apple Podcasts and or check out
2: faithstrongtoday.com. <laughs>